Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you've had a nice time over the last few days with friends and family and all the rest. And of course, there is a lot of festive football on at this time of the year. Well, there's football on at this festive time of the year. I don't know which is more appropriate. It's also a weird time for podcasting because you don't quite know who's around, who's away, who's doing what. And also, there's that whole thing around uh, this this time of year where you just don't know what day of the week it is. So um, that may Makes it just a little more tricky to organize things. However, I did think that today, as it's, oh, I was going to say, as it's Thursday, it's not. It's Friday. There you go. There's my brain, my Christmas brain um, uh, on display for you right there. Because it was Mikel Arteta's first game in charge of Arsenal, I thought we had to have some kind of a podcast to discuss that, to discuss the 1-1 draw with Bournemouth and some of the bits and pieces that have uh, come out of that game. Maybe not the results we were looking for, but there were some green shoots from the performance that we can discuss, um, some individual and collective things that we can uh, we can chat about. And with me to do that is Lewis Ambrose. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Andrew. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, um, let me just start by asking you your quick thoughts on the appointment of Mikel Arteta as the new head coach. Um, you know, in the context of what's happened perhaps at some other clubs in the last few weeks, uh, Tottenham appointing Jose Mourinho, uh, Everton have brought in Carlo Ancelotti, somebody who many Arsenal fans would have liked to have seen come in and was considered a, a safe pair of hands. Arsenal, of course, have gone in a, a very different direction. So your thoughts on the appointment of Mikel Arteta? I... I don't know if they just went down the list and went for the second guy that didn't get it last time. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's necessarily exactly how it went down. I think if you look at... Uh, so Mourinho and Ancelotti obviously have their illustrious CVs and I guess Unai Emery could be described as sort of a pound shop version of those two with the trophies that he's won and the experience he has. Um, and I think... If they'd have gone for, say, Mourinho, if they'd have sacked Emery earlier or gone for Ancelotti now instead of him ending up at Everton, then maybe it's just a bit more of the same, more of the same strategy that they went with with Emery last time. And I think Arteta is, it's brave. It's I think that's why most of us, anyway, are excited about it because it's brave. We don't really know how it's going to turn out. It could be a complete disaster. It could be amazing. You just don't know. We don't have any information to go on. Obviously, they have a bit more because they get to speak to him and they get to speak to anyone who's worked with him. But I mostly just think it's exciting. I think it's brave. Um, and oh, obviously, I really hope it works out. And I do wonder if they've also gone for Arteta to 
to sort of earn a bit more patience from people. If you go and get Carlo Ancelotti and in a year things still aren't better, then it's sort of like, well, where do we go from here? Ancelotti's not going to develop as a coach anymore. So are we going to get better under him or not? Or do we sack mm. him as well now? Whereas Mikel Arteta, maybe things in 12 months haven't really worked themselves out yet. But there's still a lot of squad turnover to be dealt with and that kind of thing. And Arteta's obviously, it's his first job. And maybe it just buys them a little bit more time to actually get this one right. Mm. It's, uh, it is certainly an interesting uh, and exciting appointment and one that we all hope is going to, to work out. And uh, I think you're right. It does give us a bit more time because people are aware, A, he's inexperienced, and B, there's a big job to do. It's no longer about sort of... Um, about papering over the cracks that were already there. I think we've got to start building some new foundations. So bringing in a, a young coach with plenty of ambition and drive, I think is is a, is a good strategy for the club um, where it is right now. It is going to take time, though, and it is a very, very big job. I think that's been evident over the last number of weeks and months as we've seen the performances of the team. And, you know, it's it's human nature, I think, to want things to happen quickly, but it's not going to. Realistically, it is not going to happen overnight or anything close to that. So in the context of all that, the 1-1 draw with Bournemouth yesterday, I don't know that anybody can be too surprised or particularly disappointed by the result. Um, you know, it is going to take a while to drag ourselves out of this. Of course, you want to beat teams like Bournemouth, and there is an expectation when you're Arsenal that that's the sort of game you should be winning. But I think the, the context and the circumstances are, are almost unique um, at this moment in time. So uh, what was your sort of general thought on on what we saw yesterday uh, at the Vitality Stadium? Was there anything in particular that stood out to you tactically or, or the way that the team operated that that suggested Arteta's influence is beginning? Yeah, I think just very simply, we just looked better. I think we looked to play the ball forward a lot quicker. I think in, in such a short space of time, there was almost as much of, and I think Arteta sort of suggested that himself before the game, especially, that it's almost as much an attitude change as anything else that we need to get the ball forward. We need to keep the opponents in their own third, whether they're on the ball or we're on the ball. That's where we want to play the game. Um, I think the the quality wasn't there in the final third uh, against Bournemouth, but I think we got a lot. We got a lot more often. We got into dangerous situations around the box. We had the ball. We looked at least like we were asking them questions. Mm. which I don't think we've seen from an Arsenal team for quite a long time now. Yeah. And this this isn't an Unai Emery thing. This predates Unai Emery away from home. We were still really good at home in Arsenal Wenger's last season, but away from home, I don't know if we've played quite like that for a long time. And Bournemouth obviously is not the the litmus test that we need to pass, but I think we've already said we're going to need a lot of patience. This is going to take a long time. I think there are going to be some amazing performances and then going to be some absolutely terrible performances all mixed in together and you're not going to be quite sure which Arsenal is going to turn up on any given week for a little while. Um, and the fact that I think we played a lot, lot better, we looked a lot more positive with the entire team that Unai Emery and Freddie Lundberg were working with. I think that's really, really promising. I think it's interesting to see Ainsley Maitland-Niles playing sort of centrally at times on the ball. When we had possession anyway, it was already so you can see the some of the principles of Pep Guardiola's teams where you always have one player 
on the flank, but never more than one player on the flank. And it was really Nelson and Saka holding the width yesterday. It was it was interesting to see that. It wasn't sort of just the fullbacks or just the wingers, but mixing it up a little bit asymmetrical where Aubameyang would come in, but Nelson would stay out and Maitland-Niles would come in and Saka would stay out on the on the flank. And I think, I, I'm personally, I was given the, the short amount of time that Arteta has had to work with the team between Everton and, and Bournemouth, I was really impressed by it. Mm, the Maitland-Niles thing I noticed quite a bit, actually, and you could hear Arteta on the TV talking to him and, and talking to lots of them but but certainly there were moments where you're looking at Maitland-Niles and you're thinking that is not where we've seen Arsenal fullbacks <laughs> in recent yeah, times yeah. you know so yeah that's yeah, definitely no. definitely something the other thing I suppose that caught my eye yesterday was Mesut Ozil and look it's a it's a long complicated story between Arsenal and Ozil and we all know uh, the ins and outs of what's happened and why he's been in the team and why he hasn't been in the team but yesterday there seemed to be some way or some structured way of getting him into the game and look at 31 years of age and given the the trajectory that his career has had over the last little while you know he's not the guy for the long term at Arsenal he's not the future but what he is or what he might have to be is the the present when it comes to creativity in this Arsenal team because there is not a great deal of it in the squad when you look around at the players that we've got particularly in midfield None of them are particularly creative. They're not creating a great deal of chances. Whereas Ozil yesterday, especially in the first 30 minutes, 35 minutes, I thought, found space quite a lot between the lines. Some of that, of course, was because we were making passes that we haven't made for a while, where where players were, were pushing the ball um, through the lines and, and finding men uh, with quick passes uh, rather than sort of rolling it out sideways uh, to be the easy option. But... In the very short term, and it's something Arteta said, didn't he, when he took over, that Ozil is a, a big player or a massive player for the football club. You know, if you if you want to create um, a team that is capable of attacking, you, you do need players who've got some vision and who've got some craft. And right now, in terms of sheer talent and ability, he's the obvious choice. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Arteta can get out of him and, and if he can sustain that. Yeah, I think it was the first time in a very long time that I've seen unanimous praise for an, an Ozil performance, except Tony Pulis, weirdly, on Amazon Prime. I can't <laughs> believe that Tony Pulis doesn't love Mesut Ozil. Wow, surprise, um, yeah. Yeah, um, it seemed like just his kind of player. Um, I'd love to see Mesut Ozil try and launch a throw into the box from the halfway line, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was the first time in a long time that that everybody can agree that Ozil had a really positive impact on the on the game. He was working really hard as well, I think. Um, and I think Arteta's made it perfectly clear that nobody's going to get in this team if they're not working hard. And if he gives somebody a chance and they don't work hard, then they're, they're going to be straight out. Otherwise, he's already going to be breaking one of his uh, his first promises, what, uh, what he's calling non-negotiables. Mm. Um, he's mentioned a few times. And I think that must be one of them. And I think he's probably had a word with Ozil and frankly told him how brilliant he thinks he is, but also told him that he can't play unless he does those things as well. Uh, it was nice. It was nice to see him getting the ball. I think he was he was dangerous in his passing. He didn't play things safe. He looked for he found Aubameyang once in the box. He found Saka out wide for a really good chance that, that he sort of fluffed across a little bit. And you're right, Arsenal were 
it was sort of two or three passes in defence and then they were finding him. And it wasn't the centre-backs playing six, seven, eight passes between each other like we've seen a lot of, especially recently. And yeah, if we can play like that, and I think also we've got to take something from it that it was an away game. Um, Mesut Ozil's yeah, yeah. famed performances outside the Emirates. If I think right now after the, the year and a half or two two years really we've had with him since he signed that new contract um, I think everybody would be quite happy if he just played well in home games from now on and gave us something a bit extra there so if there's the, the odd away game he could perform in as well then that would be quite something I mean we've had a a few full storms now I think with Ozil over the last couple of years yeah. where there's a performance or three or four things in a, in one performance where you think ah oh, maybe it's all starting to click again and especially when he's been out of the team and the team's been awful you think oh maybe they actually do need him and then he's come back in and it's made no difference at all um, if they can find him regularly and if he's got Aubameyang and maybe Lacazette running off him and then there's no reason that he can't still have a big big impact on Arsenal I don't think especially because as you say there's there is a real lack of creativity in the team I mean um well, and we, I don't know, we might come on to Nicola Pepe. Yeah. Um, but without him, you don't, without Pepe starting at the moment, you don't really see anybody else in that entire team or maybe the entire squad that's going to create chances. Um, and Ozo obviously provides that in abundance when he's on his game. Mm. The Pepe thing is interesting. You know, there was a lot of people talking about why he wasn't in the team yesterday, and that's understandable when you pay £72 million for a player and he's not starting and he hasn't started regularly this season I think there have been some issues with adaptation and um, you know uh, perhaps some concerns about his work rate and and maybe those are assumptions that we make Um, you know I I do have a feeling that he might be carrying an injury um, after the the West Ham game because that was a fairly brutal challenge and he had some bruised knee issues and he, he came on yesterday he only had 10 minutes but got into the game quite quickly and was subjected to another really horrible tackle which I think you know was was skirting on a red certainly Cresswell's um, for, for in the West Ham game should have been a red card mm-hmm. What's your gut feeling on what's going on with him? Uh, you know, we, we saw in the Man City game where he didn't quite do himself justice. Well, he didn't just he didn't do well uh, enough at all in one particular defensive situation. Um, you know, is that something that he's going to have to get on top of to be in a Mikel Arteta team? It feels like it probably is um, because he is somebody who's going to demand a lot physically from the players you know, is it that or is it just general adaptation issues? I think actually quite nicely when he came on yesterday, he did throw his weight around a couple of times as mm. well, which was was good to see. I think you might be onto something with the, the sort of fitness question. Um, obviously, he took those two heavy tackles from, from Aaron Cresswell at West Ham. And I wonder if the next game wasn't Manchester City, if he wouldn't have played it. Mm. And if that's sort of if he's not fully recovered still because I mean he didn't, he didn't go to Liège I think and then he played the game against Man City and he didn't play particularly well nobody played particularly well and since then yeah he's been on the bench and I, it obviously wasn't used at Everton I do wonder if um, if that's part of the reason if he's just not quite fully fit and uh, you see a lot of people yesterday trying to read into not just oh Pepe's not started a few games better now, but trying to particularly read into oh now now we've got a different coach and he's not playing Pepe as well. That's that's three of them in a row. Is there a problem? And I just think we've 
got two massive home games coming up this week uh, against Chelsea and Man United, such as the nature of the Christmas period every year. And if you were asking me, I think, obviously, especially with our, our record away from home, those two games are just a little bit bigger than the Bournemouth game. And I think if you'd have asked Arteta or told him Pepe can only start two this week, would you have him for Bournemouth, Chelsea or Man United? Mm. I think I think we'd all probably pick the Chelsea and Man United games. So we maybe maybe he doesn't start against Chelsea on, on Sunday or against United next week. Uh, we'll see. But I do think, yeah, it, there's possibly a bit of load management going on. Mm. And the other thing with the with a player when we're talking about adaptation and how long it takes it's just it's just easier in home matches it's just easier to come in and you've got the crowd behind you and you're not playing in some horrible little stadium with 20 30 40,000 screaming at you and screaming at their players to take you out i think he he'll get a bit of a bit more support from the home crowd probably even a bit more protection from referees when the crowd's getting loud every time any 50-50 tackle goes in on him yeah so if we i think I think we can all agree that Pepe has been a bit disappointing, in, at least in terms of end product so far. And if we want to build his confidence, if we want to help him adapt, then that's going to happen at the Emirates before it happens anywhere else. So I'm hoping that he, he plays more of a role in the games against Chelsea and Man United. And I'm hoping we see something from him. It'd be, it, it's a shame that this has happened now with the, with the injury that he got at West Ham because it really did feel like that game had sort of announced himself with his with his goal and everything and his mm. assist for Aubameyang as well. It's yeah, it's been a bit so, weird, hasn't it? Because you know he scored those two free kicks in the Europa League, and we were going, "That's it, that's the moment." You know, he's going to kick on yeah. from here. He's he's you know won us a game in spectacular fashion, and it didn't quite happen. And then of course the West Ham game where he had the goal and the assist, and you're thinking, right, he's going to kick on from here. And maybe the reasons are different, but it just seems <laughs> to be a bit unfortunate in that when he has these moments. You know, we haven't been able to quite build on them enough. Yeah, I think it's sort of a it's a nice uh, little microcosm for the team in on a whole over the last year or so. Is something happens and you think, well, oh, is that it? Is that click now? And then you turn up next week and it's just the same pile of shit anyway. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm a bit torn about us playing Chelsea and Man United next. I think it it would be quite nice after the way we played at Bournemouth in, in Arteta's first game to now get a bit of a a bit of a gimme at home and I mean yeah. there are no there are no games like that in the Premier League but you know what I mean if we'd have if we had Watford at home now or Norwich at home or someone like that um, well I'd, I'd have faith in Arsenal to find a way to mess it up but <laughs> I think I think things were promising at Bournemouth and it would be nice to have a, a bit of a game like that to get off to a start on the other hand if they turn up and they they play really well against Chelsea and Man United then that will give them an even bigger boost so Mm. It, it really could go one of two ways. You don't want to go three or four games without a win, I don't think, under, under a new boss. But Yeah. So I was just going to say, yeah. it's definitely a baptism of fire, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Unai Emery had it as well, didn't he? he up did, at, yeah. um, like at the beginning of last season, uh, with che- uh, Man City and Chelsea in his first couple of games. And Freddie Lundberg had to deal with playing Man City, even though he was only in charge of four or five games. So... Yeah, it's a bit of a horrible trend developing at the moment, actually. Mm. Okay, well, look, fingers crossed. Um, They are going to be difficult games. Chelsea, not necessarily in the greatest of form either, so maybe that's something we can take advantage of. United are a bit uh, uh, hit and miss, it's fair to say, but, you know, this is Arsenal that we're talking about. While we are talking about the attacking side of things, let's let's chat just a a little bit about uh, Alexandre Lacazette 
who looks like a player in a real funk. Uh, I know it's very difficult and perhaps even unfair to make too many individual assessments at a time when a team is is not playing particularly well. And I think, you know, you could say that probably um, most of the players in this squad haven't reached their potential or produced any consistency this season. And that, of course, ties into the fact that the team haven't done that either. You know, even Aubameyang is scoring goals, but, you know, he, he drifts in and out of games and, you know, we can't expect him to carry us every week. Bernd Leno, perhaps the only player who's who's doing it week in, week out. But, you know, if he wasn't, we'd be in bigger trouble than we are right now. But Lacazette yesterday, he hadn't played for a couple of games, so he should realistically have been quite fresh in comparison to some of the opposition who've had a heavier schedule. He looks he looks really out of sorts, doesn't he? Really sluggish at times, and, and the decision-making is just not quite there. Like, it's a half a second off, and in that half a second, a chance, as we saw in the in the second half, can, can go begging. Uh, there was the chance as well in the first half when... Um... Mm-hmm. Mesut Ozil put him through quite early on, and uh, and he just the ball just didn't quite sit right, and you're just thinking hit it, hit it anyway. But um, yeah, it's a bit at the moment. It feels a bit like he's waiting for the perfect opportunity, and it's it's not going to come. He's, he needs a scrappy goal. And he's always at least since he joined us, he's always scored at least in fits and starts. And at the moment, it's it's starting to feel like quite a long wait for a goal. And some players react quite positively to being taken out of the team for a couple of games. And Lacazette doesn't strike me as that sort of player. I think he wants to work his way into some form now. But it it just doesn't appear to be happening for him anytime he's on the pitch. And obviously the situation we're in means you you play Lacazette, you want Lacazette to get into form. So you either play him and it means you're taking a Aubameyang out of his position and playing him somewhere else. Mm. Or you don't play him and it means it's going to be longer until you manage to to get a, a performance and a bit of a run of form out of him. So it's a little bit of a difficult situation and, and I find it hard to see what's going to help him get out of it at the moment. I mean, we had it in the in his first season at the club and Aubameyang gave him a penalty. I think it was Southampton in Aubameyang. We won a penalty and Aubameyang let him take it to sort of get out of the funk that he was in and sure. it happened again. Well, not that exactly happened again, but there was another there was another poor run of form about midway through last season where he just went a while without scoring a goal. Yeah, and I feel like with Lacazette in particular, maybe it'll it'll click and then he'll score in six or seven in a row. But for the time being, you just it's hard to see where that goal is going to come from. And at the same time, Aubameyang, well, often not involved. I mean did almost nothing at Everton for example but he invariably gets the one chance or scores the one goal and it's very it, it becomes very difficult I think to justify moving or bumming out the middle mm. and and sort of reducing the chances that he's going to get that one opportunity a game like he did at Bournemouth yesterday it's a really difficult situation because Arteta as well he, he has to he has to implement the way he wants the team to play which I think if you look at well, if you look at the Arsene Wenger teams he played in, if you look at the Pep Guardiola teams he's coached uh, and the, the the Barcelona teams where he grew up in the academy, I don't think we're going to see any two striker systems from Mikel Arteta. No. So 
it's one or the other, or you play Aubameyang out wide like you did at Bournemouth, where he sort of drifts in and, and then Saka's left to, to cover the width on that side. Yeah, it's going to be one of his early challenges. And I think it's something that Unai Emery also probably never quite got to grips with, is what's the best best way to to use one or both of these two? And do we just use both of them because they'll score enough goals for us eventually, um, even no matter what it does to the rest of the team? Or do we use just one of them? But then you look a bit silly when you're losing games and one of them sat on the bench for 75 minutes. So mm. it's it's a really difficult situation. And I think it's almost... Uh, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, as we may have suggested six months ago that Arsenal will probably have to move one of them on. It will be very, it will be quite a shame if, if two of them leave in the summer, mm. um, which right now it looks like it's sort of tending that way. But I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if one of them had to, had to go. It is a difficult one though, because the one that you would want to keep because he's a better goal scorer is Aubameyang. The Aubameyang situation is made a bit more complicated by the fact that he will only have 12 months left on his contract in in the summer. And from everything that we're hearing and from the bits and pieces that are going around, you know, it doesn't appear as if he's going to be inclined to sign a new deal, in which case Arsenal are forced into a situation where they're going to have to make a decision. So if you're keeping one, it's probably going to be Lacazette, who's got longer on his contract and perhaps gives you a little bit more um, in terms of all-round play as a, as a forward when mm-hmm. he's in his best form but doesn't match Aubameyang's um, efficiency in front of goal. So it is a really complicated situation. You wonder maybe if it's, if it's a case that we might end up selling both and going in a different direction in the summer because um, the pros and cons sort of tell you if you're if you're going to have to move one of them on it's it's going to be Aubameyang it's a weird one yeah it's 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 a situation that we found ourselves in after the people at the top of the club said this is a situation we can no longer <laughs> allow ourselves to get into you know yeah no more players going into the last two years of their contract except yeah. this one well, look, that's uh, something we're going to have to deal with uh, a little bit down the line. I don't think anything is going to happen with either of those two uh, before the summer. So um, I-, I do think it is a case of one or the other, though. It definitely is. Um, I'm not sure um, that there's a way of getting the two of them into the team and creating uh, a balanced attack. And maybe it is a case of, of flanking Aubameyang or Lacazette, depending on the game and depending on the opposition with with wide players who can um, who can provide them with with uh, the sort of ammunition that they need. But that's another one of Mikel Arteta's challenges. Let's talk Granit Xhaka. He is... Um, well, he wants to go to Hertha Berlin. That's what his agent has told um, a Swiss newspaper. Mikel Arteta said very publicly that he likes Xhaka a lot and he was a player that Man City were interested in signing. He said he was happy that Arsenal signed him because he thinks he's a, a terrific player. Privately, though, he told Xhaka that he would be willing to let him go in the summer. And Xhaka apparently hasn't taken kindly to this, um, which is confusing to me because it, it speaks to a kind <laughs> of understanding of the situation from Arteta's point of view. He knows that Xhaka's time at Arsenal is is limited because the player obviously 
wants to go. The Crystal Palace thing has been a major factor in that. But, you know, it's January. It's mid-season. It's very difficult to get a replacement in. So saying, look, I think you're a good player, but if you want to go in the summer, by all means, you can go. We'll get the money in. We can find somebody between now and then and, you know, do our transfer business. That seems a perfectly reasonable position for Mikel Arteta to have taken, but apparently, apparently, uh, Xhaka has taken a, a exception to this. Um, first, why is it that Granit Xhaka, uh, and you know this as somebody who knows the Bundesliga very well, and I know there are some factors here, so can you explain why it might be that Granit Xhaka is willing to um, go to Hertha Berlin? The fact that he wants to leave Arsenal doesn't surprise me whatsoever. I've you know got no problem with that at all. But why does he want to join a team which is sitting 12th in the Bundesliga, four points off relegation, and basically has no chance of making European football next season? I cannot tell you why anyone at Arsenal would want to go in, uh, and join Hertha Berlin, um, <laughs> to be completely blunt. Do they not have um, um, new owners and there's a new sort of, um, uh, some new money coming in there, which might be yeah. the start of a, a project that he could get yeah, on board there's a, with? There's a new investor and they're... Rumour has it, at least, that they're trying to really throw their weight around now. Um, I think for that they are definitely an ambitious club, and they have been for some time, but not with the money to back it up. Uh, now there is definitely a bit of money there. Um, there is also the strange decision to appoint Jürgen Klinsmann as head coach until the end of the season. Um, I think, obviously, there are there are other clubs in the Bundesliga that could afford a similar transfer fee but they're not in uh, such a nice city as Berlin so I wonder if that's part of the, mm. the particular link with Hertha but I also think that I think that they are going for sort of marquee targets and trying to sell a quite a luxury new project kind of vision to players at the moment I mean they've been at least the past couple of weeks they've been linked with Julian Draxler from from PSG who we are all very familiar with um, when it comes to transfer rumours they've been linked with Mario Götze whose Dortmund contract is up at the end of the season and with Julian Weigl at Dortmund as well so it, there is a, certainly an ambition to start doing bigger things at Hertha mm. and I think they just want a couple of marquee signings also maybe a couple of players who have been there and done it in, in terms of playing in Europe and, and elevating the club to that kind of status and yeah, they've played. They've been once in the Europa League in the last ten years or so. It's it's not a. They're not a club that really challenges even for the European places. So I think they're trying to change that image. And I can only imagine that they've sold Jackler on. And and if they're trying to talk to Drexler and Götze as well, they're they're trying to sell them on the the idea that you will be the man at at the front of this project. You will be the guy in the in the team every single week spearheading this and and driving this forward which i can see is would be fairly attractive and from from arsenal's perspective i don't understand why Xhaka. i mean it's not like he's out the team he's he's playing every week still or again he's playing every week now um obviously he's got the euros coming up in the in the summer and it's not like his place there is under threat by being at arsenal at the moment um I just wonder if if he's actually if this sort of project and vision's been sold, if he's worried it won't be there in the summer, and if Hertha mm. either would move on to other targets, or if they would even get relegated because there's a real possibility that they get relegated this 
season. So maybe that whole project, that whole idea kind of falls down if the deal doesn't go through now is the mm. only way that I can, the only sort of rationale I can put behind him trying to force this to happen at the moment. Because well. it, then they are not an attractive team to play for. Sure. They are not competing for anything. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a sign of how bad this situation is with Xhaka, at least how he feels. Yeah. And it's got to be a sign of how far Arsenal have fallen that a player is desperate to go to the, uh, to Hertha. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we can't underestimate uh, the player's desire. I mean, you you're, you could be right. He could be sold on this project and, and how important he might become to it and to be kind of a figurehead at a club, you know, must be an attractive thing, particularly when the situation at the club you're at at the moment is, is so difficult from, you know, speaking to people, um, you know, Xhaka isn't happy and hasn't been happy since the Crystal Palace thing. And there were reasons why he he could legitimately be unhappy and other reasons why he probably should um, be a bit more circumspect about um, some of the things that, that he says. But I think what's indisputable is that he wants to leave. His agent has said they've got the agreement, they've spoken to Senyehi, they've spoken to Mikel Arteta. So if you're Arsenal, and this is a player who's got a who's got a troubled history, you know, with the fan base. He was the captain, then the captaincy was stripped from him. You know, that's a, a difficult thing for a player to contend with. I think he's got to look uh, at himself for part of why that happened, a significant part of that. But going into the nuts and bolts of why he feels the way he feels isn't really going to help if that's just how he feels. So if you're Arsenal and you've got a player who has very publicly made it clear that he wants to leave, what do you do in the January transfer market? I mean, my feeling is, is if he's really that determined to leave and if Hertha Berlin are, are, are willing to pay money for him, we should take the money and reinvest. Um, because Arteta has demanded from his players, you know, uh, things, as you said, were non-negotiable. He, he's demanding full commitment. He said something along the lines of, you know, well, anybody who doesn't want to be here or anybody who doesn't want to live the way I expect this team to live, you know, can, can pretty much leave. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. And if you're a player who has publicly said you want to leave you are not fully committed i'm not saying he won't do a professional job when he's on the pitch but in terms of the overall project and in terms of getting behind a new coach and getting on board with what he wants you know why would you invest time and coaching and all of those things into a player uh, who's just going to go in six months anyway it feels like okay maybe the jacka camp have forced our hand a little bit in that regard. Maybe it makes it easier for them to get what they want. Um, and maybe it will be seen as um, Arsenal acquiescing to a player's demands. But I'm not really sure what choice there is if he's so uh, determined to get out. Yeah, I think it I think it depends on, firstly, if Arsenal can sign a replacement. And if they can sign a replacement that they're satisfied with, then I, I don't think there'll be anyone standing in Jacker's way in January. Um, if they can't, then it, I guess it comes down to how much they think they need him and how well they think or how committed they think he'll be on the pitch. Um, if if they just flat out refuse to sell him and they think that that'll be fine and he'll still perform and give everything on the pitch like he did at Bournemouth on 
on Boxing Day, then I don't see much choice but to but to force him to stay. I don't know if there is much choice but to force him to stay if they can't sign someone. Um, as long as they still think that he'll perform, and I do think I, there's a there's a lot of things people have said about Granit Xhaka over the past few months or the past few years, but especially the past few months, I don't think he's the sort of guy that would go on the pitch and not give everything. Because um, I don't actually think he's capable of not giving everything, and I think sometimes that's his biggest weakness and to his detriment that um, that he he makes desperate tackles and rash decisions because he's trying too hard and not actually thinking about what he's doing. I don't think if they kept Jacker that he'd he'd kick up a big stink and not perform or refuse to play or anything like that. So for me, it really comes down to whether or not they can sign someone that they're they're happy can take his place or not. And that, that doesn't have to be somebody who, who is really experienced and plays every week. I mean, we've got Matteo Ganduzi, who I don't know if he's been quite as good as, as some people think so far this season. I think the team's been terrible and he's not been terrible and uh his his reputation certainly good enough to play a lot of our games and even if they could sign somebody who they also need to develop but can sort of split those minutes with Genduzi then then that would be fine by me the 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 sort of the issue that we're not talking about is maybe Lucas Torreira because if Granit Xhaka says he He's got an agreement with someone and the club say, well, all right, then there's the door. Um, Lucas Taroka just as easily do the same thing. I mean, there's constantly rumours linking him with a move back to Italy. And yeah, I guess the club just has a line they need to tread between, well, if you don't want to be here, then get out. And actually, we need to keep hold of some of these players because at least until the summer, because... Mm. Otherwise, we're going to be in a bit of trouble. Mm. Well, look, it's not as if uh, our faith in the people running the football side of this club has been in any way shaken over the last <laughs> little while. So I trust in them completely to do the right thing by the club, by the team and by Mikel Arteta, of course. We'll see what happens. January transfer window is open in a few days' time. Um, we'll see how quickly things happen. But for now, we better leave it there. Lewis, thank you very much and Happy New Year. Thank you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Thank you very much indeed to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. And once we get a few games into the Mikel Arteta reign, he'll be doing one of his tactics columns on arsblog.com, looking at what exactly it is that Mikel Arteta is doing, how he's trying to do it, and how successful it might or might not be. Hopefully very successful, because we have got a big, big game on Sunday coming up against Chelsea. And, you know, a London derby is always a big game. This one feels even more so because for all the excitement and the optimism and the buzz and the energy that's come with this new appointment and the people that have come with him and the hopes and expectations that we have, however realistic they are or might not be, we are a football team and a football club badly in need of a win, badly in need of points, confidence, all of the things that will get us going back towards the right end of the table because... Well, you know, we've played 19 Premier League games this season. We have won just five. Just five. Um, We've lost five as well, but drawn nine. A lot of draws. Maybe, maybe that is something we can just draw on a little bit. If we were losing all the time, it would be far worse, of course. But uh, Arteta has to get things going, and hopefully he can do that on Sunday against Chelsea. It's going to be tough. It's always a tough game against them, but at home, hopefully with the crowd well and truly up for it, and maybe we can take advantage of a Chelsea team which haven't been brilliant in the last uh, couple of weeks. Fingers crossed it would be great if we could do that. Um, You know, you take anything you can get at this point and just uh, try and build on that. So whatever way a win occurs, if it occurs, I will take it on Sunday and we we can go from there. James and I will be here on Monday to pour over that game in the Arsecast Extra. So please join us for that. If you're a Patreon member, watch out a little bit later on today. We're going to drop the... Uh, Decade of Banter podcast in which James and Tim Stillman and myself look back on 2010 to 2020 from an Arsenal point of view and some of the most um, banterous moments, good and bad, that have occurred in that decade. So that's available if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon. If you want to sign up, it's just a fiver a month, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Instant access to all the content that's there and, uh, you know, ad-free apps, ad-free podcasts and all the rest. So patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Just a final word, as I'm sure many of you are well aware, we lost our friend Dave Faber, the Gunaholic, on Christmas Day. Any day, of course, is a sad day to lose someone that you love, but Christmas, it just seems a little bit more poignant. My thoughts are with Dave's uh, close family and friends and loved ones who are going to miss him, of course, but also to all of the people who knew him online and offline on social media, on his website, gunaholic.com, which has its own community uh, of regulars in there, as as we do here on Arsblog and, and every other site, who are going to miss him as well. And I think it was a testament to just what a great guy he was, that there was such an outpouring of um, sympathy and, is goodwill the right word? I don't quite know how to express it, but... But my Twitter timeline and, uh, you know, mentions and emails, just everybody saying what a great guy he was. And he was a really great guy. And we're all going to miss him terribly. Uh, the other week I played out with one of his favorite songs, but an artist that that uh, Dave and I had in common was another Dave. This is a song that for some reason reminds me of him. I don't quite know why. It's just one of those things where you uh, have a picture of somebody in your mind when you hear a song and this is that song. So for David Faber... Gunaholic, this is David Bowie uh, with the London Boys, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Until then, cheers, bye bye. Bow, bow, bow.
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. 
One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.